Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, I'm Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting Dota Birds and Leaky Black. Matt Norlander is here with me. If you're watching on YouTube, smash that like button like you're Brandon Davis. You have consent. If you haven't yet, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Please knock that out while you're here. Dead leg. Fun weekend of college basketball. The biggest game on the schedule. It was a neutral court showdown between Kentucky and and Gonzaga, the final score is Zags 88, Wildcats 72. So Gonzaga now 3-1 and one with wins over Kentucky and Michigan State. Lone loss at Texas. Meantime, woo, Kentucky's 3-2 and two with no notable wins and losses to Michigan State and Gonzaga. John Calipari's Wildcats have now taken a second loss in the month of November for just the second time in the past 10 years. Norlander, I, I believe the YouTube tease on our previous episode was, quote, is it time to worry about Gonzaga? Before I ask you if it's time to worry about Kentucky, mm. let me ask you about your main takeaways from, from Gonzaga's blowout of UK. Yeah, um, obviously an impressive showing by Gonzaga. And on the previous or last week's episode when we were talking about what Texas was able to do uh, to Gonzaga. I, I resisted any kind of grander, broad takeaways because I just wanted to see how Gonzaga would respond to an ass kicking. And they got their ass thoroughly kicked against Texas and came back, win by 16 points at Spokane Arena. And it wasn't as authoritative as what Texas did to Gonzaga, but still pretty impressive. The, the Bulldogs have the number one per possession offense in the sport right now, according to Ken Palm, uh, the fact that they were able to get like Timmy didn't need to do everything here the way that he needed to do against Michigan State. Right now, Gonzaga three and one has a, a quad one win. You know what will eventually be deemed a quad one win, almost certainly against Michigan State, and then what uh, most certainly will probably also be deemed a quad one win uh, when uh, we get to the end of the season by getting this against Kentucky. You know, Kentucky's taking a couple of rough L's here and we'll get to them in a, in a few, but I'm not, I'm not too, too concerned with that overall. Um, you had Strother, Strillian Strother had 14 boards in this game, my man, on top of 20 points, Timmy had 22. So Timmy had, you know, he had a game high uh, and, and played mostly pretty well. And then Rashir Bolton, um, excuse me, he had 24. He had the game high and had a couple of, of, of buckets that kind of just kept Gonzaga uh, at more than an arm's length from from Kentucky, there the surprising part to me with this game was, you know, I was pretty I was pretty geeked for it. You got a top five matchup in you know the second week of the season, and that crowd was certainly ready for it. The biggest crowd in the history of that of that building, according to the broadcast when they announced that near the end of it, and yet Kentucky just wasn't ready whatsoever. So if you're a Gonzaga fan, you're obviously uh, you're happy not just to get the win. But you get the win going into – I'll see the Zags in a few days here when I fly out to Portland. They're going to be at PK-85. The first game is against Portland State. It's a nothing burger. I think that's the last tip of the, uh, what, eight men's games that are going to get played on Thursday. I think Gonzaga might have the last one of the day. Um, 
so you figure they'll they'll steamroll that, and then we see in the semifinals and the finals who they who they might wind up meeting there. But you get another really good key important win, and you do so by kind of getting back to the way that you want to play. Um, Michigan State again on the aircraft carrier, low scoring game, sixty four sixty three. Texas couldn't get it going at all, uh, dropped seventy four. Here you get eighty eight the way that you want to get it, and at least at least for the most part and uh averaging better than 1.15 points per possession that's a good job gonzaga's defense and some of it was just bad shooting by kentucky kentucky was only six to 25 from three-point range one of the biggest things that doomed them kentucky was less than a point per possession in this game gp yeah i mean kentucky took 14 more shots than gonzaga still lost the game by 16 points and that's because they were terrible offensively and terrible defensively it's a bad combination Zach shot 56.4% from the field for the game. They were 24 of 36 inside the arc, so they shot 66.7% from two. Uh, So Kentucky's defense was just non-existent. Now, Gonzaga is great offensively, but Kentucky showed no resistance whatsoever. Um, On the offensive end of the court, just terrible, especially in the first half. UK was 0 of 10 from three in the first half, finished – Six of 25. So they were six of 15 in the second half. That's better, but still six of 25 from three for the game. 24%. Pretty terrible. CJ Frederick, Antonio Reeves combined to go three of 13 from beyond the arc. I mean, those are UK shooters, mm-hmm. and neither one of them made shots. Like it's, you can maybe get by when one of them's not making shots, but if they're going to combine to take 13, they got to do better than three of 13 because the rest of the, the lineup is largely non-shooters and so you mentioned Timmy you know the player of the year candidates here both perform pretty well in a vacuum you know Timmy got 22.7 rebounds on 9 of 13 shooting Oscar Shibway 20 points 15 rebounds on 7 of 12 shooting again both player of the year candidates played well performed well but Gonzaga was just the better team uh, on both ends of the court and that was pretty consistently true from the opening tip to the final horn. I, Kentucky made a run, you know, middle of the second half, but then Gonzaga stretched it back out pretty quickly and was never really threatened. I I know it kind of got close. There was never a point where I was like, oh, wow, Gonzaga is going to lose this game. There was a point where I wondered if Gonzaga was going to cover the four, but there was never a point where I was like, oh, Gonzaga is going to blow this massive lead and lose in Spokane Arena to, to Kentucky. And, you know, I mentioned at the top – uh, the Wildcats have now lost t- uh, multiple games in the month of November for just the second time in the past 10 years. It's also the second time in the past three years. Mm-hmm. So it's two years ago, the weird pandemic year where they were just terrible. Right. And then last season they were good, but lost to St. Peter's in the opening round of the NCAA tournament. And this season, not time to to get too concerned. I agree with you. Not time to, to, to uh, fire off the alarms. <laughs> Kentucky fans might not, though. Yeah, I mean, here's the truth. Like, that's, I, that's allowed. That's allowed. It, it would be funny to laugh about Kentucky. I just think Kentucky's still going to be good. I, 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 I think they've played two good teams, and yeah. and and they lost one of them in double overtime, and they lost this one. I keep calling it a neutral court game only because you know it wasn't played in Gonzaga's home arena. But the truth is, Kentucky lost a double overtime game to a Michigan State team that I believe is good, and lost in Spokane, Washington, to Gonzaga in a game that was largely uncompetitive, but, you know, was single digits, you know, late. I, I'm not concerned. Yeah. I, I'll be – K- Kentucky underachieving relative to expectations? 
Sure, because they were supposed to win in the Champions Classic. But underachieving in the way that, say, Florida State's 0-4? No, not the same. <laughs> not quite the same thing. Not even close. Uh, this was also a game between our preseason picks to win the national title in 23. You took Gonzaga. I took Kentucky. Kentucky <laughs> will not be winning the national title if it is incapable of shooting this, uh, you know, if it is incapable of shooting well from three and then like it loses 44 to 24 points in the paint. Like there are a lot of reasons why Kentucky lost. Like it didn't come out uh, with a ton of energy, a ton of aggressiveness. Um, we'll note our good buddy, Sam Vecini, who may, we, who knows, we might hear from him at the end of this podcast. I don't know. We always try and squeeze him in. Never seems like we have too much time. Uh, he did note that a lot of what Kentucky was not doing was trying to take advantage of some ball screen action, which if you saw what Tennessee did in the, in the exhibition and you saw how Gonzaga got rolled at Texas, like a lot of the stuff that Barnes and Beard were running in those games was to expose Gonzaga's weaknesses in in screen actions on the perimeter. And Kentucky just straight up wasn't doing it. Um, I'm not going to speak for Calipari as a coach as to why that wasn't. And you know, it just didn't happen. And, and because of that, Kentucky didn't take advantage. Again, 44-24 in the paint when you have the reigning national player of the year, a big, uh, and I, Timmy's the other side. He was our preseason pick. I get that. That's just, it's it's jarring. And then, like, the turnovers for Gonzaga are still an issue. I mean, Gonzaga won, won this game, not going away, but it won by 16. Right. And, and uh, they still, I mean, GP, they had 18 turnovers. Like, that's another thing where, you know, Gonzaga won't get out of Portland a week from tonight, it would be the championship game. It won't win three games if that's going to keep keep it up. Gonzaga is going to have to curb that. It goes a little bit back to what I talked about on the previous podcast with the guards and all that. So some of it was with Kentucky. It wasn't shooting well from the perimeter. You know, they were down 41-25 at the half. And it, this was a case where, like, if you're playing against a team that's allegedly pretty much eye level with you, you know, the 40 minutes almost always do matter. Yes, you can get down by 8-12 and sometimes you can make a run. But if you're in a in a tough spot, in a tough venue, in a tough environment, then at a certain point, you know, a lead might get too big. And that's just the case. Like if Kentucky had managed to make that instead of being a 41-25 game, it's 39-33, then yeah, maybe Kentucky actually does pull it out. But no, it, 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 it the gap was just, it was just too big overall. Kentucky doesn't play another notable game for a couple of weeks here. Um, I think, I don't have their schedule up in front of me. I think their next big game is actually Michigan across the pond my man so they play gonzaga over on the left coast and then they've got london against michigan which we'll mention the whip around they they got out with an ot win but it was uh it was kind of wild Toppin, jacob Toppin at 16 i'm still waiting for an, uh, another step and i think i think that he'll get there uh severe wheeler i keep going back and forth on wheeler uh, there are some in some ways i think he can be such a valuable kind of point guard for what kentucky needs and at other times you just know that his lack of being a true shooting threat and his size actually can be a hindrance to this team. Um, they just got to get the pieces to come together a bit more. And I do think Cal will get there, but kind of my, you know, put a bow on it for this, for this game is I know Kentucky fans are getting frustrated because the team is losing and you like losing against Gonzaga in this environment. You can accept, but not losing the way that you lost. If it was an 85, 82 loss and it was competitive, like this was not a game that was capturing my, I watched the whole thing, but I wasn't like, you know, there have been games where I've been like intently watching, riveted by the action. That was not this. So if you're a Kentucky fan, it's not just that you've taken two losses in the first five games for only the second time since Cal's got there. It's the fact that the way that you're losing some of these games, it's compounded by 
damn, we had a great team last season, and then we get punked by St. Peter's. Never mind what St. Peter's went on to do, right, to make the Elite Eight. The year before that, it's just this historically top five all-time bad kind of season. And so there's this consternation from like, listen, if we if we are allegedly going to be a top five team, you know, that we're not – I'm speaking on behalf of the, you know, hypothetically the Kentucky fan base. Like, we're not going to exhibit patience with this. You know, you look around the sport in the first couple of weeks of the season, and there are other teams that have not put up really good performances, but they've been able to to manage to either play competitively against top ten competition or or eke out wins against non ranked competition. Kentucky's just not there yet, and we'll wait and see if it's going to be like a classic. Cal needs until mid January to really you know know what this team is. I would argue that should not be the case. Yes, they've got some newbies on the team, but you return the national player of the year. Toppin is a veteran, been in this program. Wheeler is a veteran, been in this program. Wallace defensively, like there's almost no questions about his capabilities there. Uh, Again, no overreacting on our end, but Kentucky fans that I know listening to this podcast, watching, if you have like this immense frustration over like, are we really going to have a team that people think should be top five, top seven, top eight level? And we're going to look up and suddenly like we finished third in the SEC. We can't get out of the first weekend of the tournament. If you have some of those worries, I'm not going to say they're misguided, but we do need, you know, three, four, five more games at least worth of inventory to really get a feel of what Cal can and will do with this roster. I'm not worried about Kentucky, but I will say I reject the idea that, hey, it's a young team, you know, give it time. When you return the, the national player of the year and your point guard, you're not a young team. When when you've when you've got you know, Oscar Shibway and Xavier Wheeler as two of your five starters. And then Jacob Toppin, like you said, who's been in the program multiple years. Um, you're not a young team. And, and and you've supplemented your roster with experienced, older transfers in Antonio Reeves and CJ Fred. You're not a young team. So this is not, you know, whatever trouble John's actual young teams have had in years past in November, December, if you wanted to chalk that up to that, I'll listen to that. This is not a young basketball team. This is just a basketball team that, um, you know, has lost two games in November, both to quality opponents. And that, that's that's concerning on some level because you didn't expect to be a two-loss team on November 20th. Uh, I think, you know, according to the point spread, you're supposed to be a one-loss team on November 20th with a win over Michigan state. And if you had a win over Michigan state and a, and a loss to Gonzaga in Spokane, um, I think the entire conversation is a, a little different right now. Uh, the problem is that, or at least I think one of the problems is, is that certainly at the end of regulation and the end of overtime against Michigan state, they're, they're like one team looked like it knew what it was doing and the other team did not. And a lot of people pointed to the coaching Tom Izzo had his team, absolutely operating with a complete understanding of what they were trying to do. And then they executed and John Calipari's team looked like it didn't know what to do. And even after the game, John said, this is after the Michigan state game, John said, Hey, my guys weren't, you know, that that's on me. We had not practiced those situations very much. And like, I had other coaches reach out to me. I I wonder if this is true um, with you. I had coaches reach out to me after John said what he said after the Michigan state game. And they were like, what is he talking about? They haven't worked on that stuff. Like that, like that stuff that every program in America works on, like every day. And and he's just saying, well, we screwed those up because we haven't worked on them. Did you hear any of that? Because I did not. I, I did not. Not to say that you know. Obviously, I'm. You know what you're saying is I'm sure valid. But no, I did not actually wind up hearing any chatter on that from any. Yeah. Other so it was just so. So that was the Michigan State game, and then against Gonzaga, they just didn't look ready to play. 
And then a lot of the stuff that Texas, like you pointed out, that Texas and um, you know took advantage of against, like you just had a blueprint from you know this past week. Yeah, look at what Texas did to score whenever it wanted to score on Gonzaga, and Kentucky came out and really didn't try to replicate any of that. And one of John's you know go to sayings for as long as I've known him has been, you know, we worry about us. We don't worry about the other team, but I do think sometimes you, you should acknowledge who you're playing. And, and if, if there's clear things that they struggle with defensively, perhaps you can try to expose those things offensively. And and really it didn't look like Kentucky tried to do much of that, which if I were a Kentucky fan, I would, I would wonder why. Uh, Valid Uh, note on Gonzaga. It's five and two in its past seven games against top five competition that does not account for facing teams in the NCAA tournament. This is just regular season affairs. Um, So again, you know, that's a pretty damn good record. Um, Most of those were on neutral courts. In fact, the only home court situation period Gonzaga's had with this for the past decade plus, I, I researched it in a pinch right when this game was wrapping um, this might be it period, because you got to think about like going back, I looked up college basketball reference here, you know, there might've been one or two other cases in the two thousands. It goes back to 2009 right now, my data, but Gonzaga is not getting games against many top five opponents period, no matter the situation, right. For the majority of its existence there. So if there is another game or two here, um, there's it, the, the inventory isn't large. Um, every the only home, there was the Texas game a year ago. That was a home game, top five matchup. Gonzaga won. But five, you know, they had some losses previous to that. But as of late, they've been doing just fine. Uh, and for the most part, not on their home floor when they're, you know, playing. It's not even, you know, playing themselves being a top five team, going up against a top five team on the other side and uh, five and two in the past seven. So that's Gonzaga, Kentucky. You mentioned to me off air that you're going to write a column about that. Is that still true? You think you're writing about this tonight? I'll get something out before the night's done. Yeah. All right, so everybody will be able to find that later on at cbssports.com. Let's move on. Gonzaga-Kentucky wasn't the only um, uh, big game of of the weekend, and the Zags were not the only national program uh, that got a big win on Sunday. Virginia did too. The Cavaliers are now 4-0 with victories over Baylor and Illinois. We're going to talk about Tony Bennett's team next, but first, a word from our partners. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. So Virginia had a terrific weekend. On Friday, Cavaliers beat Baylor 86-79, just really ran away from them um, in, in, in the uh, second half. And then on Sunday, beat Illinois 70-61. So Virginia is now 4-0 with two top 25 Kimpom wins. Uh, Deadleg, remember when I told you uh, this offseason uh, that, that multiple coaches 
had uh, told me while we were doing our Candid Coaches series, they were like, listen, Virginia, I'm telling you, is going to finish top two in the ACC ahead of either North Carolina or Duke <laughs> and possibly good. ahead of both. That's what that, that, that is what happened. That's a revisionist history. I believe it went in some sort of order of me being like, GP, Virginia is going to be pretty good. Then you got the feedback from the coaches. Then it was like they're going to be top three or top four. And now you're saying they're going to win the whole damn thing. No, I, that, that, I actually did have coaches tell me Virginia will win the ACC. And then I had multiple coaches say they'll finish top two. They'll be ahead of either Carolina or Duke and possibly ahead of both. And that's when I was compelled for really no reason other than this is what I keep hearing from coaches. I'm going to adjust the top 25 and one accordingly. I for I believe the first time ever uh, updated the offseason top 25 and one without any sort of roster move. I just said, hey, listen, I'm going to change something because I keep hearing great things about Virginia, and I feel like I should get them in the top 25 and one. So I did that in September, and now look. Look, in, look now. Virginia's 4-0. They just recorded two top 25 Kempom wins, and I've got them all the way up to ninth in the top 25 and one. That will update again on Monday morning. What do you make of the start of the season for, for Tony Bennett's? Yeah, two top, 20, two top 20 wins, according to uh, the AP rankings. Those will obviously refresh on Monday. And uh, we'll we'll see. And we'll get to other our th- quickie thoughts on the other teams in this uh, Continental Tire main event thing. Illinois got an impressive win against UCLA, but then they lost. So Illinois might maintain top 20 status overall in the AP poll when it refreshes. But Virginia, it probably would be 5-0 and if not for having to cancel its game against Northern Iowa, which was scheduled for... Uh, last Monday, of course, there was the tragedy, which we've addressed and talked about on this podcast there. Also, obviously, the backdrop to this entire thing is that, you know, on Saturday, um, there was a huge memorial at John Paul Jones Arena, obviously, where Virginia men's basketball plays its home games uh, to remember uh, the murdered three football players uh, that were there um, that were killed uh, a week ago. And the Virginia men's basketball team could not be there because it was playing in this event. And, you know, this, this was... Uh, a heavy backdrop and all things considered, like it would have been entirely reasonable considering the field and everything going on. If Virginia had made this trip and had taken instead of winning 86, 79 and 70 to 61 was on the losing end of those kind of scores uh, would have been understandable. Right. But that's not what happened. They were able to really play with such spirit. And I, it, it's, it's a credit to the players, no doubt about it. It also is a credit to Tony Bennett, how he runs that program and it, it really was something to see Virginia do what it did because it was and remains to be a very emotional time and a very powerful weekend for that community and that campus in Charlottesville. And so, yes, on the floor, Virginia gets a pair of wins that reinforces, you know, it's top five in uh, multiple predictive metrics right now. And to beat Baylor preseason national title contender, final four type Illinois projected by some to be the best team in the big 10 that's a couple of really really impressive wins and they did it with a variety of contributions like okay so virginia shut down and getting the win over illinois uh, which apparently the illinois fans traveled magnificently uh which is great they, to see they, virginia- look, they look great and, on, and Virginia's on, got the same color, so on TV on Sunday, like uh, uh, but that was Illinois because if yeah, you watched, I, I got you. if you I watched on you. Friday, it oh, was yeah. all Illinois. I know, I got you, no doubt about it. Like, and credit to Illinois, they were fired up. Um, but the point I was going to make was uh, Illinois really traveled and they had like a really great environment for that. And so for Virginia to kind of just turn off the water 
super impressive. Reese Beekman had 27 points across both the week, both games over the weekend, GP. 27 points, 13 assists, four steals, four turnovers. Armand Franklin wasn't as good on Sunday as he was Friday, 33 points, five steals. They got, and then like, if you, um, if you really watched how they won both those games, like there are times when it feels like Caden Shedrick is going to be top five, top 10 defender in the sport. And there will be games when he's not even the best defender on the team. Um, Ben Vanderplas had his moments. Although I was watching the game today and my wife who just, she, God love her. She loves, well, she likes, she can watch the NFL. She'll watch golf. She'll watch tennis. She'll watch the Olympics. She's got zero, like college football, zero interest, any kind of basketball. Zero interest. So occasionally, like, she'll just, you know, I'll be watching a game. She'll be on uh, in the room with me as, as it's on. And Ben Vanderplas is at the line. He's got this stash. And she goes, how old is he? Because he looks 29. And I was like, that's a good question. Let me look it up. And I, Vanderplas, 24 now. <laughs> so, oh, wow. <laughs> crazy, right? Uh, but he is a he is a grown-ass man and had himself uh, a nice weekend as well. Right now, Beekman, Franklin, Kihei Clark, and Vanderplas all shooting 46% or better from three-point range for Virginia. Again, it is early. We are only four games in. Those numbers are highly unlikely to be able to sustain themselves. Isaac uh, McNeely off the bench there. He's at 50%, 6-12 shooting. It, Virginia is getting it on both sides of the floor right now. They rate technically better overall in offense than defense. We'll see if that can actually be maintained there. But uh, Virginia fans obviously have a, a very – real reason to have optimism that hey why why does it have to be carolina or duke like why won't we come back and win the acc the way you know we did more times than not over the previous eight nine ten years when tony bennett was establishing himself as uh as king of the throne in that conference uh, everything that you saw from virginia this weekend is exactly why uh, you can start reasonably thinking that the cavaliers can win the acc even though they're in the same league with the preseason number one team. Um, you, you mentioned uh, most of the notable guys, and and this was, to me, among the interesting things. On Friday, it was Armand Franklin leading the team on the offensive end of the court. Uh, on Sunday, it was Reese Beekman. So two different guys taking uh, that responsibility. Um after Terrence Shannon went nuts on Friday, they yeah. shut him down on Sunday. He only had nine points. He got twenty nine against UCLA on Friday. He was absurd. Awesome. He was. It was. It was a top three offensive performance from any, maybe both sides of the floor performance from any player so far this season. He was great. Um, and then they just Virginia just shut him down on Sunday. And then you mentioned uh, Ben Vanderplas. Uh, he is for people who might not know. He's the Ohio transfer giving him really good minutes off the bench. You know, he got 14 points and two rebounds against Baylor, got eight points and 10 rebounds against Illinois. So rock solid six man um, um, performances in both of those games. And for what it's worth, Ken Palm now projects Virginia to finish 16 and four in the ACC and win the league by one game. The current projections, Virginia 16 and four, Duke 15 and five, North Carolina, 14 and six. So we are now literally just 14 days into this season. And already Ken Palm is projecting the preseason number one AP team to finish third in his own league. And well, we'll see. We'll see where we get with on that. But the, the event overall, I said on the Friday podcast, I thought at least one of those games would be really close and compelling. I, you know, technically, 
Baylor UCLA was the closest one. Um, but it was nice to see four ranked teams, four teams with, you know, viable final four aspirations um, in an event like that. And yeah, again, shouts to Illinois fans for, for showing up. Uh, if it's cool with you, GP, let me just roll through the other three teams real quick. I'll go alphabetical order. Take it where you want after that. Baylor first. So they lose 86-79 on Friday against Virginia. And, I mean, damn. I, Virginia came out of the half. I think it was a 30-5 to run on Baylor, which is out. That that will not – I'm going to – that's not happening. To it was something team. like that, and then it was like – I think a, d- a different version of that run was like twenty-two to one. Yeah, something like it was something ridiculous like that. And then, and then Baylor actually outscored Virginia pretty significantly in the final like nine plus minutes of the game. Like, but Baylor like was awesome the final nine minutes of the game, but they were already down by so many they just couldn't yes. they couldn't really close the gap significantly yeah. enough. Similar to the Gonzaga, Kentucky thing I was mentioning earlier, if they're about eye level with you, uh, most nights, if the, the gap gets too big, you're just not going to be able to compensate enough, and Baylor was not able to do that. Um, but, yeah, there were points where just Virginia was blowing them off the floor there. And at, in the moment, that's when it was eye-opening for me on on the Virginia side. But as for Baylor, it's able to come back on Sunday, win 80-75 to 75 over UCLA, and at least, at least get the split. And – Flagler and Cryer were outstanding. LJ Cryer, coming off of injury, had 28 points. Flagler had 22. Keontae George only had four points uh, in the game on Sunday there. And I, I think it's actually an encouraging thing because George, George has been inconsistent. You know, he was my pick for preseason national freshman of the year. He had 20 in the Virginia game, only had four here. But, and I did talk to Scott Drew about this a, a little bit in the preseason when I was just trying to get his read on his team and what expectations were, and he kind of reinforced to me, uh, Keontae has uh, a killer instinct, not afraid of the big moment. We love it. But I would expect us to really lean on Flagler and just the guys who have been there and done it. You know, they were once upon a time, neither of these guys were, were nearly as regarded coming into college as, as George's obviously, but to get that kind of play out of the guards, those are the only two that scored in, in double digits for Baylor. Uh, against UCLA, and yet, you know, UCLA, we'll get to them in just a second here, um, they probably had a more balanced uh, offensive repertoire overall, but it just didn't matter. Just to, for Baylor to get out of there one-and-one one with Cryer and Flagler playing the way that they did, I thought was uh, was super, super impressive and and certainly notable there. Illinois got out of there one-and-one, one, two GP. Um, they get the win on Friday, then they can't get it done against Virginia. But the win, 79-70 against UCLA, I, I, Terrence Shannon was 8 of 9 from three-point range. I think I got this in my notes here. Okay, so yeah, he had that was 29 points, one point shy of his career high. He had 10 boards, three dimes. Again, this is on Friday. His eight three-pointers match Illinois' all-time single night record. And according to ESPN Stats and Info, in the past, this is crazy. Okay. Shannon and Trey Young are the only players in the past 25 years to go for 25, 10 boards, and eight threes while playing on a big stage in a top 25 matchup. Both teams ranked. Trey Young did it against the Horn Frogs back in 2018. Um, big time stuff there. Is that, from, Illinois- is that from Jared Burson? It's from ESP- ESPN Stats and Info. I yeah. call that Jared Burson. Okay. <laughs> As previously mentioned, he, he no longer works at ESPN. Yeah, but, I don't care. I'm going to ignore but, that. But feel free I'm gonna to. Keep, I'm going to uh, keep pretending that he does. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, I also have to mention 
Dane Danger. I love Dane Danger. Dane, I, <laughs> Dane Danger. Previously at Baylor, like the just the threads that connect us, right? Um, Dane Danger has been dangerous. He was just okay on Sunday. It was the first time he didn't go for a double-double. But first of all, we will inject Dane Danger into this podcast as frequently as is required and maybe not even required because he's genuinely a net positive for Illinois. And he's another one. See, Illinois has been able to get um, Coleman Hawkins has been what they hope to be. Terrence Shannon, maybe better than they expected him to be. Sky Clark, for the most part, been pretty good. Matthew Meyer, maybe a, like he's uh, he's been good, but he hasn't been what they made. But again, we're early. Matthew Our Meyer game, is just going to end up always being a guy who like, man, I thought he was going to be really good next year. That might be the case. We'll see. I don't want to. I don't want to sell him short entirely. But I get the point you're making there. But the, between Danger, RJ Melendez has hit some big shots there. If you're Illinois and you're an Illinois fan and you're honest with yourself, while you would have liked to have, and especially with all the fans that travel there, if you'd like to have gone two and zero, you would have wished it. But getting out of there one and one, I think is uh, is entirely reasonable. Then I'll be quick on UCLA JP and then take it where you want. UCLA, someone's got to go home zero and two, and it's UCLA here now. Jalen Clark continues to impress me across the board. I actually thought he was, all things considered, he was actually pretty pretty damn good against Baylor overall. Um, Tiger Campbell's been pretty solid. Hawkes has not, we haven't had him as a preseason first-team All-American. He's just not there yet. We'll see. I kind of think the story is Amari Bailey. Amari Bailey right now has not hit. He is averaging 25 minutes through five games, is three for 15 total in his college career from the field just as many assists as turnovers, nine apiece there. We'll see on all of that. It's obviously not good for the Pac-12 on top of all this. I'll read you a quote from Cronin after this game. Uh, shouts to Ben Bolch, the UCLA beat writer. Here's what Cronin said after the loss here, UCLA going home 0-2. I tell the guys the truth. I'm not very popular in this area, but I don't care. The problem, to really give you a truthful answer, is they'll be told that I'm the problem from their outer circle and that they're all great players. That's what they'll be told. So ultimately, you've got to recruit guys who do what they need to do to get better and win games like this if you want to be a real program. But in our era of basketball, it's okay whether you win, lose, or draw for a lot of people. They could care less if we win. It's they being the people in the outer circle. It's all about is a guy getting his stats and things like that. So that's the goal of coaching in this era. You've got to overcome it. The truth of it is we've got good guys on the team, and we're just not good enough defensively right now to beat Baylor. We gave up 51 in the second half the other night, and we gave up 43 in the second half tonight. Cronin's correct. I love this about him. He just he never seems to be afraid of being critical of his team without being over the top or unnecessary about it. They do need these hard truths. This has worked for him for the majority of his career. I still like UCLA in the long term. Someone had to go 0-2. I just don't like the way I saw UCLA going 0-2. And so the Bruins have a lot to figure out. It's not just all on Bailey, but he's not hitting like Bonus still got plenty of potential. He's not there as well. UCLA's next test won't come until December 1st. That's a road game against Stanford. Their next two are against Peppermint and Pepperdine. And, well, Bellarmine on November 27th. Bellarmine's a little bit sneaky. We'll see there. But uh, any thoughts on any of those teams before we uh, move on to other things around the country? Yeah, well, it sounds like those were interesting quotes after UCLA's second loss in Las Vegas. After the first one, um, I, I don't know the context of it. I just saw the quote on social media but I'm assuming Mick was asked something about some 
UCLA player, or perhaps he wasn't. But either way, he said something along the lines of, I've got nothing good to say about anybody. (laughs) I didn't see this. Okay. (laughs) I've got nothing good to say about anybody at UCLA, and that includes their coach. So... Okay. Uh, well, then all by all means. Okay. Off to a bit of a rocky start. This is a culture thing that I think um, he he not struggles with, but certainly I can remember at the CBS Sports Classic. Maybe it was Mick's first year at UCLA, and we're out in I want to say Las Vegas, but it could have been somewhere else. Either way, day before the game, I'm I'm doing uh, interviews for CBS Sports HQ with all of the coaches, and I remember talking to Mick. And one of the things, because this team was struggling, whatever was going on, this team was struggling. And I remember him saying, you know, I'm just in this situation now where, you know, it's, it's who blinks first. Like I inherit a lot of these players and they have habits and, and ways of doing things that I have to break, but they're being resistant. And so we're struggling and we're losing. And I just have to convince them, I'm not changing. I know how to do this. I've been successful. I'm not changing. So you're going to have to change or you're going to have to leave. Instead, eventually we'll get this right. And then, of course, they end up in the Final Four the following year. And they were good again last season. And he he seemed like he had mostly gotten that to a good place. Um, because I have heard from other UCLA coaches, let's just put it that way, that it is a different place in terms of, you, you know, uh, th- there's a lot of agents in California, Southern California. Um, there's just a lot of things that you deal with in, in, in L.A. that you don't necessarily have to deal with other places. And it looked like he'd got that into – he'd got that to a, a pretty under control into a good place. And his comments, at least, after this game suggest that maybe it's a bit of a struggle with, with this roster – um, as well on Amari Baylor, uh, Amari Bailey, he's obviously a high profile five-star guy. We've talked about him a lot for various reasons. Um, to me, it's not even that he's like not making, he's only he's barely taking, he's a scorer who's not taking shots. Mm. He took five shots in the first game in Vegas and five shots in the second game in Las Vegas. I, I didn't think he was be limited. If you told me Amari Bailey starting at UCLA as a freshman, I say, okay, he's not taking five shots a game, but he took five shots a game. In, in Las Vegas, which is noticeable. I, I don't know that it's concerning, but it's noticeable. And so they've got some things to figure out, but I, I suspect, I suspect that they, they, they probably will. It's just, um, you know, like it, it, they, they didn't get run off the court necessarily, um, no. you know, in these games, they just, they just lost. And there's, there's some issues that need to be addressed and I suspect they'll figure it out at some point. All right, let's do our uh, weekend whip around. But before I roll on it, you, uh, what stood out to you? What do you want to, what do you want to touch on first here? Well, I will tell you that, you know, there will be one change in Monday morning's top twenty-five and one, and it'll be me removing Virginia Tech, which had got off to a nice start, but you know, lost on Sunday at Charleston, mm-hmm. and. Truly at, truly at Charleston, by yeah, the way. Lost, Charleston. In an M- lost in an MTE, but it was at Charleston. Yeah, they didn't just play Charleston in Charleston. They played at Charleston. That's true. Um, and replacing them will be Maryland, which is off to a 5-0 and start. And they've got wins over St. Louis, got wins over Miami. Convincing wins. Yes. Over St. Louis and Miami. 
The Terps started the season. I always think this is interesting to see who's really performing. Started the season 56 at, at Ken Palm. We're 14 days into the season. They're now up to number 23. That, and I will. Jeez, that is yeah, a jump. I mean, it, yeah, they 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 moved 33 spots to the good in a five game span in a two week span. So, a better than anybody could have reasonably expected start for Kevin Willard at, at Maryland, and now the the Terps will be in in Monday morning's top 25 and one. A uh, couple notes on that. So yeah, Charleston won the Charleston Classic for the first time. Pat Kelsey's team is five and one, three top one hundred wins. It's lone loss, a competitive one against Carolina. Just know this now. Just put it in your back pocket and put that pocket, put those pair of pants in your closet till March. Just remember, Towson, Charleston, Hofstra, collectively thirteen and two right now. Those three teams are on a tier to themselves by far from everyone else in the CAA. Almost certainly, one of those three will make it to the tournament. And particularly Towson and Charleston. Uh, Hofstra's still good, too. But Towson and Charleston feel like Cinderella candidates here. You, you're able to do that. Uh, you know, you, you come out of the CAA, you got three top 100 wins before you even get to December or Thanksgiving. That's a, that's a huge get there. Um, Dante Scott from Maryland has been really, really good. Over the past two games, 24 and a half points, six and a half rebounds. Shot 12 of 16 from inside the three-point range and was 5.9 from beyond the arc there. So that's uh, – yeah, they beat St. Louis by 28, Miami by 18. So that's – I think you're entirely right there with with Maryland and Don Carey. Um, certainly good for Kevin Willard that he's got uh, – he continues to be a viable perimeter option. I wasn't sure if Maryland would be a top 50 team. or I wasn't overly confident going into the season, but I did pick him to make the NCAAs uh, in, our, in our final preseason episode there. And it certainly the team is off to a nice start to that uh, that effect. Willard is the only Maryland coach ever to start five and zero at that program. Elsewhere, uh, stick in the Big Ten. I'm just going to mention the fact that Michigan needed a, a overtime to get out against Ohio. Um, Ohio actually should have won the game. Blew it in the final minute. Terrible foul on the opposing uh, free throw line. Um, I think it was Buffkin that went to the line. It makes two. Then the most absurd sequence where it got inbounded, <laughs> hit off the hit off the ball just died it. off the backboard. Incredible. Incredible. Um they so it go they they sink it, it goes to overtime. Yeah, for, well, for, for people who didn't actually see it, it is a full court length of the court pass that likes hit hits in between the backboard. Not a, the, I think Nada has it. Nada do you have it? You told me I didn't need it, so I deleted it. For right, no, he, he did. He exactly didn't say it. I didn't know if we'd go this deep into it. So we don't. What is the point in even talking before the podcast <laughs> if that's still going to happen? That's so, so people, funny. Uh, anyway, it was absurd. Go find it. It. It's a length of the court. It's like um, it's like the Christian Leitner play. If the pass soared over Christian Leitner's head and hit the between the rim Dude, and the backboard and wild. then just died – and it just falls into a player's hands, and then he misses it. But then offensive rebound stick back. It was a wild play. And it, again, it's Michigan coming off of getting rolled by Arizona State over time to beat an Ohio team. You know, Jeff Bowles is a good coach. Uh, just lost one of his best players to Virginia, Vander Plassa. We talked about Ohio now one and three. Uh, also has a one point loss on the road against against Belmont. So we'll wait and see. Uh, other uh, elsewhere in Michigan. Um, real quick on Friday night, Michigan State beat Villanova. Sparty led by as many as 16 in the second half. Nova did. I was. It was a 73-71 final. I was impressed to see Kyle Neptune's players simply refuse to just fold and go home. 
Michigan State won the game because it was 13 of 25 from three-point range. If that doesn't happen, Villanova, it might have been a little bit of a different story. I continue to love what Tyson Walker is bringing to Michigan State. He had 22 points, five assists. A.J. Hogart had 13, 10 dimes, eight boards. Good for MSU. Uh, elsewhere, another loser. We talked about how UCLA had to go 0-2 at the Hall of Fame tip-off. That's what Maryland won. Providence went 0-2, reigning Big East regular season champs. We'll see if Ed Cooley can recoup. Uh, his team and recover in the in the weeks to come. But I just wanted to simply uh, note that UMass shouts to UMass won its MTE down in Myrtle Beach thanks to victories over Colorado, Murray State, and Charlotte. Frank Martin's team is four and one, paying immediate dividends there. Maybe they'll make some noise in the A10. We'll wait and see. But they were not expected to win that MTE. They go ahead and do it. Speaking of Colorado, make it make sense, Parrish. They're three and three with wins over Tennessee and AM, but losses to Grambling State, UMass, and then they got dropped on Sunday to Boise State. There is no team more schizophrenic from a resume standpoint in this point in the season than the Colorado Buffaloes. And, and it's not just three and three. It's three and three with a win-loss, win-loss, win-loss. Correct. Which means Yale is in for a world of hurt because that's next on the schedule. So, uh, so yeah, so there we go on that. Colorado's are just they're a bizarre one. I will note that Amarindo Bicot got a career-high 23 rebounds in North Carolina's win over James Madison. He also had 19 points there. One of those deals where – Baycott was uh, was basically third in line preseason player of the year. Timmy Shibway, then Baycott. If Carolina is going to be top five level, right, for most of the season, or top ten, hanging in the polls, they take a loss, they drop from one to four or four to nine or whatever. If Baycott's going to be – if he's going to be competing with Timmy for rebound average nationally and he's probably going to score just as much, that's going to become all the more viable. Keep an eye on that. Jamie, you actually put up a – Good fight. We gave you a heads up on that on the Friday pod, but UNC was able to get out with the win. I do have a fighting camels update, my man. Let's hear it. Campbell. All right. Shouts to Ken Pomeroy who tweeted this. I'm taking his tweet as gospel as everyone should. Just simply notable because we had apparently something historic happen over the weekend. Quote, Southeastern Louisiana overcame a 20 point deficit with 458 to go to beat Campbell per the NCAA record book. That's a new record for the largest deficit overcome with five minutes left. Making So uh, we hate to see Campbell on the wrong side of this, but it's history nonetheless. And we never shy from our fighting camels talk on this podcast there. Making it all the more unlikely, though, southeastern Louisiana was 319 in Ken Palm, 140 spots below Campbell heading into that game. So not only historic, but like really mathematically almost improbable and certainly unlikely given the gap between uh, between those teams. Only other things I have from the weekend here. You mentioned FSU. They're 0-4. They had a 19-point home lead to Florida. They lost by nine. The Seminoles haven't been 0-4 since 1959. It, and in a mind-blowing stat. What's wild, what's wild, people don't realize this, Leonard Hamilton was 70 years old in 1959. I knew you were going there, but I thought you were going to be kind and at least put him mid-20s, my man. That's no, he rough. was 70 in 59. How about FSU? Was, this is per Elias Sports Bureau. FSU is only the fourth ACC team in history to start 0-4. I'm going to say that again. History of the ACC, only four teams have ever started 0-4 and worse, or worse. FSU is one of them. There's another 0-4 team. Ay, 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 man. Cal lost on Friday night at home to drop 0-4, but it lost to Southern U, 74-66. It's only – I think this is – I, I tried to – Go back to the record books of the 40s, 30s, and 20s because I'm an absolute sicko. I'm pretty sure this is only the second time ever Cal has started 0-4 in a season. The other one was in 97. Um, this, I think, could be rock bottom for this program. They're 51-109 and since the start of the 2017-18 season. 
And, you know, it actually, I, I don't know where you go from here. Mark Fox is on staff there, obviously. And uh, Mark Fox has done really good things at some other programs there. But I just, I don't know. And weirdly enough, Cal is 200th at Ken Palm. Oregon State, which is 3-1, and one, shots to Beaver Fever. 238. Now, again, that's preseason predictive stuff still baked in. So that's going to take a while to uh, to shake out there. So we'll see. Just had to note that. Meantime, the SWAC, 4-4 four and four in all games versus the Pac-12 this season. The Pac-12, as we speak, let's see. I, literally, as we're, I'm, on a, I'm on a delay on my – yeah, here we go. Coming out of the second half, 31-24, Oregon losing at home. If Oregon loses this game to Houston, which we both predicted on our final 4-1, and one, the Pac-12 will be 30-20 and 20 through the first two weeks of the season. For a power conference, that is straight-up abysmal – we went over the the league uh, records on a few, might have been the most recent one, GP. But you can't have that. So we'll, we'll see if Oregon can turn this around. If you're listening on Monday or Tuesday, we told you we'd get this podcast rolling before uh, Houston, Oregon was finalized. But right now, Cougars are up big. Yeah, the only other things that I uh, think are notable from the weekend, um, Jim Laranega got his 700th career win um, by beating his alma mater, Providence. That was on Saturday. And then, of course, he got his 476th career loss um, uh, by losing to Maryland, which we noted is now five and zero, and in the top twenty-five and one, and shouts to Loyola Marymount. There we went, go, Stan Johnson. To, love Stan Johnson. Went to Jamaica, beat Georgetown and Wake Forest. So Stan oh. Johnson's lines, Lions are now four and two with wins over a Big East school and an ACC school. Not bad. Not bad at all. And good for the yeah. WCC. Certainly good for the WCC, yes. And Georgetown was able to get out of that. They they were able to beat LaSalle, so Georgetown is actually three and two as we speak here. But that is good for the that is good for the WCC. Good for the likes of St. Mary's and BYU, let alone Gonzaga. There, if they can have teams that are still, you know, in the mix, competitive. Santa Clara might also have something to say about that. So yeah, that's a that's a good result. Um, I think that's pretty much. I mean, there's you know other stuff here and there, but we don't want to get too uh, too into the minutia there. You want to you want to talk. Maui? Because Maui gets rolling on Monday, my man. Yeah, let's look ahead to the Maui Invitational. It's an eight-team event, um, three days. We'll crown a champion on Wednesday. We'll get started on Monday. Um, The games are as follows. Texas Tech, Creighton, Arkansas, Louisville, Ohio State, San Diego State, Arizona, Cincinnati. Mm. That's, That's how we go on Monday. Um, so I've got Creighton, Arkansas, San Diego State, and Arizona winning first round games, which would mean mm-hmm. I'd have an Arkansas Creighton semifinal um and an Arizona San Diego State semifinal. And then I've got Arkansas and Arizona winning those games and Arkansas over Arizona in the title game. So I've got Arkansas as my Maui invitation invitational champion, but it should be noted. And perhaps this is something that should have prevented me from doing this. Nick Smith hasn't played yet. This five-star pre- freshman projected top five pick in the 2023 NBA draft. Got a right knee issue. And the latest I had heard Eric Musselman, um, the, the most recent uh, time that he addressed it, Muss, mm-hmm. um, he, he said Nick Smith hadn't been practicing. And so it doesn't sound like he's going to be available in Maui, although he did travel to Maui, I'm told. Um, But, you know, most of us thought that Nick Smith would be Arkansas's best player 
And so far, Arkansas hasn't had him, and it's unclear if they're going to have him over the next few days. And that's enough for me to not pick Arkansas to win the bracket um, because this is a really good field. It's actually – it's better than – I think we would have blindly expected in a PK year, if you will, PK 85 is going to have so many really good, uh, all obviously Nike affiliated teams at that event. And so when this was, when it happened five years ago, Maui was still good. That was the year that Notre Dame won. Mike Bray famously took his shirt off and exposed, um, you know, exposed what he exposed. So nipples. uh, Correct. Correct. Mike Bray has nipples. In fact, I remember vividly, unfortunately, um, I think that was the last year I rant about this every year and real ones feel me. I think that was the last year that Maui's title game was in its rightful place as the last tip on Wednesday night, because I went to PK 80 that year. And instead of flying the day before Thanksgiving, I opted to fly like a 6am connecting flight. Um, like I flew from White Plains to Chicago, then to Chicago to Portland. Um, and God, so I'm in line at security. I bring this openly because I remember this vividly. Like, um, was in line at security. I must have, dr- I don't, I think I probably drove to the airport and parked there because when I'm waiting to get cleared to get on the plane, I bring out my phone and I'm like, ah, I want to see like the, who won last night. Like, I went to bed so early because I had to get up for this early flight. And I'm in line, like groggy's all hell. It's got to be 5.30 in the morning. And Raise your hand. Have you ever been to White Plains Airport at 5.30 in the morning? Oh, boy. That is miserable. It is. And it is miserable. Yeah, uh, yes. Dude, I have stood. It's, a great, in front it's of, a great airport, but it's tiny. So, like, if dude, you have stood yeah. in front of the White Plains Airport, <laughs> it's zero degrees, pitch black dark, and it's not even, they ain't even opened the front doors yet. I'm just like standing there and then you go inside and there is nothing. You can't get a cup of coffee. You can't get a bagel. No chance. It is. That's like a 7 a.m. open kind of situation there. So, um, so, but I'm standing waiting, you know, for, uh, to go through security. I bring up my phone. Uh, Who won the, who won Maui? And (laughs) sure as hell, I see like photos and then videos of Mike Bray going topless celebrating. I'm like, okay. I really wish I would have stayed up and watched this thing because this is outrageous. So, um, but I don't think that, so that was when the title game was, was late. And I don't think it's happened uh, since then, but that was a decent field. This one is uh, I, even better. I will pick GP. You know what I'll do hmm. in this one? I think I mentioned this on the pod. I'm almost positive. I mentioned it on the pod. Cause we talked about the damn Maui field like 15 times. Cause almost every single one of these teams were a summer shoot around team. The only team that doesn't have red is its predominant color. Is Creighton? Creighton. So blue I'm going to pick the blue. I'm going to take the. I'm going to take the blue team to win. Every other team: Texas Tech, Louisville, Arkansas, Ohio State, San Diego State, Arizona, Cincinnati. Their most prominent hue in their colorway is is red or an alteration thereof. And so I will just I will fade that, and I will go Blue Jays. I'll, I'll say this, GP, dude. That's that's a great game. That's a ranked matchup on Monday. Two thirty Eastern reminder. Two thirty Eastern. One thirty Central. Twelve thirty Mountain. 9.30 Pacific, 10.30 Alaskan. Dude, Creighton's got to play at 9.30 Hawaiian time against Texas Tech's defense. That sounds absolutely let, miserable. Let me tell you something about being in Maui. Um, It doesn't matter because you are awake at 4.30 in the morning. 
Dude, I will. I've been to Maui one time, and it's beautiful. I mean, I loved it. And and for for like, I hear you. Like having the championship game, the last game is like great from a television perspective. From a in person perspective, get, knocking that thing out in the middle of the day early, woo! Like I had a f- great last day on the island, and that's because we knocked that game out pretty early. It was a Gonzaga Duke when Gonzaga I was there. Duke. Gonzaga Duke, Zion Williamson, Rui, Rui Hachimura. Rui, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember. That was a really good game. That was a really um, good game. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. So um, that – so like in person, you wanted out, knock that early. Um, on TV, yeah, I'd like to spend late Wednesday watching, you know, a relevant, awesome college basketball game, but but whatever. I will say this. It's kind of crazy when you think, God, they're playing basketball at 930 in the morning. You are up at 5 o'clock in the morning. I, the, my first, like I never got adjusted while I was in Maui. I remember one morning I woke up and I was, it was like five in the morning and I'm just, it's not like I woke cause I wake up all the time in the middle of the night, I, but I was awake. It's like, all right, I'm done sleeping. I'm awake now. And I was like, okay, well this is nice. Like the sun's about to come up and I'll just go, you know, everybody else will be asleep and I'll just go for a nice walk as the sun rises on the beach. And boy, this is, this is, this is the life. And I went outside. Literally everybody was outside. I saw John Shire walking around with his wife and baby. Everybody, It was 6 in the morning, and everybody was outside like it's noon. And that's because you're just still on yeah. normal continental United States time. And so playing at 9, just trust me when I tell you, everybody's wide awake, ready to play basketball at 930 morning. They've already been up for five hours. I hear you completely on that, and that's a wonderful daytime game obviously you know we had the mtes from last weekend now they they bleed over into this weekend and uh man this is just it's an awesome week for the hoop soul you'll have maui and then obviously pk85 along with a variety of other events there throughout the weekend i'll take creighton to win um you laid out your bracket so i'll just do it on the fly here as well i'll say creighton over tech obviously arkansas over louisville i'll take san diego state over ohio state um Credit to Ohio State's SID for this note in their in their team notes here. The f- <laughs> this means nothing, but it was noted. The FIFA World Cup starts this week, and while this may not be a note, Ohio State has made the NCAA tournament in each of the last six World Cup years. Sure, why not? The last time these teams met, by the way, Ohio State and San Diego State was in Maui in 2003. San Diego State won that game, 83-61. I don't think the gap will be quite that wide. That's actually kind of wild. 83-61, San Diego State, like the, the start of the Fisher era. Um, but I'll take SCSU to win. And then, ooh, Arizona-Cincy is certainly – I think that might sneaky be the close one. Like, that's got an 11.30 Eastern tip at night. And, like, you know, maybe we're uh, maybe we're still locked in at, that, at like, 1.25 a.m. Eastern and Cincy's keeping it close. But I'll take Arizona. Then I will take Creighton to beat Arkansas. I will take San Diego State to beat Arizona. And I will take Creighton over San Diego State in the title game. You're predicting – this is interesting to me because you're predicting the only blue team to win. It's lining up a little bit like the midterms. Okay. I All I heard about the midterms is there's going to be a red tsunami. <laughs> is there gonna, yeah. I heard yeah, there was a red, a red tsunami on the way, and then it just wasn't. And so in Maui, all I've been hearing – Actually, saw Clay Travis. He tweeted about this. Oh, he, said, he said, in Maui, it's going to be a red tsunami. He said, I was he said, okay, I got the I got the midterms wrong. But trust me, when it comes to Maui, red tsunami, and you're saying not so you're saying not so fast, my friend. It could be a blue tsunami via the Creighton Blue Jays. Give me the Jays. 
What about yeah. how about that? I'm not against Creighton winning the Maui Invitational. Should be a pretty good field. I think the I think I think five of the eight teams can win. I'd be surprised if it was Louisville. I'd be oh my god! If... <laughs> You'd be surprised. I know. I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I know. I, I too would be surprised if Louisville won the won the Maui Invitational. I'd be surprised, I'd be surprised if, if Louisville wins a game in the Maui Invitational. I'd be surprised if Louisville, Cincy, or Ohio State won. I think any of the other five can win. Louisville should have refused to go to the Maui Invitational. Yeah. <sighs> we done with that? Yeah, I'm all. Yeah, I'm all. Gave you my pick, man. All right, there is an awful story uh, connected to college basketball from this weekend that I I did want to address. It involves New Mexico and New Mexico State. What we heard, I guess, initially on Saturday is that a New Mexico State player had been involved in a shooting on New Mexico's campus. Now we have more details connected to that, and – it, you know, it, it's it's uh, it's just a, a an awful awful situation, according to uh, Annalisa Pardo, who works for KRQE News 13 in Albuquerque. Um, the New Mexico State player who is involved in the shooting is is Mike Peak, and according to the reports and what police believe to be true, um, is that that four New Mexico students, New Mexico State is is on the road in Albuquerque to play New Mexico. Big rivalry game in state, right? Like they're going to have 15,000 people in the pit. It's a big deal. I don't need their team's ranked, so it's not like something we talked about on you know Friday's podcast. Right. Very but, very this obviously story is going way over the line, but this is a genuinely intense intrastate rivalry in many sports between the two because they're the two huge D1 schools in that state. That's right. So New Mexico State's on the road to play New Mexico and Albuquerque. And the night before the game, according to the reports, Mike Peak, a New Mexico State player, is lured to the New Mexico campus by four New Mexico students, one of whom is a 17-year-old female. And connecting some dots, it sounds like three New Mexico students, including a 19-year-old named Brandon Travis, used a New Mexico female student to lure Mike Peak to the campus. In other words, it sounds like he thought he was going to hook up. And he goes to the New Mexico campus uh, under you know, the pretense that he's meeting, it sounds like, a young woman. And instead, there are multiple... New Mexico students who have planned to the way it was reported. And I'm just quoting the report assault him and an altercation ensues and Mike peak and Brandon Travis, it appears exchange gunfire and Brandon Travis died at the scene. He's the New Mexico student and Mike peak is the New Mexico state student slash basketball player who was hospitalized with non-life-threatening injuries. He's reportedly in stable condition, but it does appear that he pulled the trigger on a gun that killed a New Mexico student. Perhaps we will find out um, that he is legally um, in the right here. I'm, I'm not sure, and I wouldn't want to speculate on that. Um, but it's and, – and by the way, Mike Peak is not – 
as of this recording, been charged with a crime. He has been hospitalized with a gunshot wound. But even the best version of this story has a New Mexico State starter going to New Mexico's campus late at night with a gun and subsequently shooting and killing a New Mexico student under whatever circumstances. So it's just a, an, you know, an ugly story that will have more answers uh, to, to the questions as I'm sure the week unfolds. But even what we know right now is it's not a, it's not a great look for anybody. Oh, and these are two programs that are not in the same conference. They're in the same state. Uh, obviously, New Mexico is in the Mountain West. New Mexico State is in the WAC. But uh, because of the nature of the rivalry and how old it is, um, it is actually a rare instance where in most years, the, the teams are actually scheduled to play each other twice. They play two non-conference games against each other. Um, and that's for rivalry's sake, but also geography's sake. These are relatively isolated places in the grander map of Division One out in New Mexico. It's not, uh, you know, in the clustered Southeast or Northeast or Midwest or anything like that. I bring that up only to say this game has technically been postponed at the moment. Um, there is no decision been made if it will be made up. Uh, the return game at New Mexico State is still, as of this recording, scheduled for Saturday, December 3rd. Uh, considering everything related to this, uh, I don't know if it would be the worst idea if actually this rivalry got put on hold for a year because this is, you know, this is <laughs> beyond the pale doesn't even begin to address uh, what happened here. And yeah, I mean, it is a tragic story uh, that seems like it could have been entirely avoided to begin with. And uh, while, you know, there have been some incidents in the past where something may have happened, like the most obvious one that doesn't even come close to this in terms of, you know, damage done was when Xavier and Cincinnati had the fight on the court. Zip them up. Zip them up. And then it was like, you know, when should we play this game? How do we do this neutral court, not home courts? And so there was thought about like, but to me, that was always like, just continue playing the game as is in the context of this season, not knowing if you can, if you can or should make up the first game, I might actually recommend pushing this back for at least a year, then reassessing and and doing all that. Because apparently there was also you know, at a football game between these two universities earlier this year, a, a pretty significant melee broke out. And just, it, it, you know, the tempers need to really be cooled here. Um, we'll, remains to be seen if that will actually happen or not. You're also talking about non-conference inventory and team resumes. And I know that uh, there's a lot of things that to take into consideration with this. But uh, when you're talking about the literal murder uh, of someone else. Not necessarily a murder. Definitely a homicide. Definitely a homicide. Um that would be to a to an entirely different level where you need to strongly consider not playing these games period this season. Yeah, and as it pertains to Mike Peak, like obviously we hope that um, he recovers well and is released from the hospital soon. And again, I'm not interested in speculating. He hasn't been charged with a crime, and it's possible we'll find out this was a self defense legal. Mm-hmm. shooting i i don't know but even the best version i'll just say it plainly a new mexico state player traveled to a road game with a gun i'm assuming broke curfew and shot a person on new mexico's campus that's not great 
No, probably and never plays again at New Mexico State. I would have to, would have to think. Yeah, just, just, uh, man, weird, unnecessary, completely avoidable story. But it happens, and it's tied to college sports. We're not going to dodge these stories when, uh, when information is released, particularly in an official capacity by you know local authorities and and some really good on the boots uh, reporting from uh, from around that area. Anything happy you want to end on? Um. Yeah, I mean, I got to uh, I got to go backstage and sit side stage at Dave Matthews oh, Band Saturday. I saw you like, stuff, on man. the podcast. You were like, "I'm going to see Dave Matthews Band." I wasn't going to drink it, but but what it what it looked like what it looked like is you didn't just go see it like eighteen thousand other people. Yeah, Dead Leg was basically part of the band, part of the crew. <laughs> it was not the level of Guster. It wasn't Guster? I wasn't on stage. Guster, I was on stage. Guster, I was on stage for like five six songs gusters for lovers laptop out march madness banner across the table that was outrageous and and uh, an unforgettable experience this was more just was able to be afforded an opportunity to uh to sit side stage they put the they put the they put the cans on me just like this so i was actually able to hear the mix i was i was listening so each band member gets a different mix so i was i was listening to dave's mix so it was more drum heavy and and you know instrument heavy not as not as much in the low end with bass and stuff like that and it was uh it was cool the only the weirdest thing about it was because of where i was sitting and i i could have i guess avoided looking at the set list if i wanted to but i actually knew the entire set like that never happened i knew the entire set list before they played it and so i was all the more enthused because um because it was a really good set list and certainly a, a great final night they had the they had the entire horn section from saturday Night Live. i guess snl must not have been a live episode last night because the horn section for snl was there and they sat in on a couple of songs and it was it was a killer uh killer set list there and yeah really enjoyed it and yeah that was that was you know unforgettable experience there so my thanks to um to henry who is dmb stage manager and their crew for allowing me to kind of just sit there and absorb that that was uh that was extremely cool you should have just said thanks to dave for making that happen. i i i did not uh Oh, how about this? How about this? So there's a guy on the side. There's, you know, there are folks down kind of below in that area, just, you know, VIPs. And they're they're not sitting uh, with the hoi polloi, if you will. And there's a guy and he's got this big old beard. And Carter Beaufort's the drummer. And before Carter came out, like he's getting ready to walk up the stage. Um, but he kind of locks eyes with this guy and they get, they dap each other up. Hey man, how you doing? How you doing? I'm like, how do I know this guy? I'm like, is he, cause he looks like a country music star. He's got a quasi Chris Stapleton kind of look to him, but he's not Stapleton. I know that. I'm like, I'm like, he, but he's big. He's like, I feel like this is a sports star. You're never going to guess who it is. But and all of a sudden it clicks with me. I'm like, dude, that's former New York jet, Nick Mangold. What the hell is he doing here? And how does he know the band? So well, he was jamming the hell out. So shouts to Nick Mangold. He was having a, uh, he was having a great time. Nothing like the garden, man. Have you ever seen, we can, have you ever seen a concert period of any kind at the garden? Cause it is, the artists usually, you know, when they play the garden, it's a, it's a special thing. And, uh, and more often than not, you know, performances, no matter who's in the building, they really step it up there. I was supposed to go to rage and run the jewels at the garden this past summer, but my flight got delayed. And so I didn't get there in time. So that's a no, I, I I'm, I don't know that I've ever been to a show at the garden. I know uh, that I'm thinking of it. I mean, I've been to a million things at the garden. I went, does this count as a show? I went to the Yeezy season two or season three show at the garden. And it does was, does that count? Was that was, a show? 
It was a fashion show, but also Kanye West. This is back before he. This is back before he became anti-Semitic. Yeah. So I was in the clear. If if you notice, all my all my Kanye West stuff that used to be back here, it's gone. Okay. I didn't want anybody getting the wrong impression. But um, and he debuted the Life of Pablo album, and so he played the entire album. Um, he was there. Pusha T was there. Travis Scott was there. Kim, uh, the whole Kim family. Kimmy K. I'm kidding. Uh, Kendall and Kylie, they were all there. They set one section over for me, and it was like you know, it was that was. I mean, it wasn't a traditional concert, but it was a thing. It was a music thing at the garden. Even it, I'd say that. That might qualify. I'd say that's pretty close close to qualifying. Someone in the chat asked if he opened with Satellite. We don't root for Satellite shows, and no, he did not open, nor did he play it. So there we go. You don't like Satellite. Uh, it's fine. Wouldn't be in my top 50. Come on now. I have no opinion on that. I know. Are we ready to go? Let's go. It's a Sunday night. Are your kids out of school tomorrow? Dude, they, they're not scheduled to be out of school but <laughs> the sickness, I, I might be waking up to two kids at home. You yeah. think they're sick? Think. They're definitely sick. There's, there's no think about it, especially the older one. Definitely sick. Definitely sick. By the way, Houston up 53-40. Cougars. Cougars, man. What did I tell you? <laughs> this is dangerous doing this live. <laughs> Anything could happen. I'm not picking against them until they don't cover the spread. Here we go. What was the line? Five? Let's go. Well, suddenly, you know, we had talked about this in the offseason. I mentioned Houston could be the last team that's undefeated. And I still think that might be true. But there's a massive game now. Um, let me make sure I got the date right. 12-17, December 17th. Virginia. Houston at Virginia. I should be great that, now. I brought that up on the pod. That's why I didn't pick them. All right. I'm gonna, my kids are both out of school. I don't remember being out of school the entire week of Thanksgiving when I was a kid. Is that a new thing? It might be a, a Mississippi thing. I don't know. Maybe it's, yeah. I think we've just given up down here. <laughs> it's just like, you know what? We're going to finish 50th no matter what. Let's at least let's have fun. Let's take off the whole week of Thanksgiving. We're going to finish 50th in literacy and everything else. So let's just take off the whole week of Thanksgiving. Maybe that's the approach. Dude, side note. We can, we can get out of here. We're rolling way too late. But I do this confidence pool. You know what a confidence pool is? Um, pick NFL yeah. confidence pool. Sure. Pick each game, but you assign a value to it. So in a, if there's 14 weeks, one game's got a 14, 13, 12. I had the Chargers at like a eight confidence. I would have won. I'm looking here, and I just see the Chiefs score two minutes to go. What am I doing picking against Patrick Mahomes? What is the score? I'm on stream, so I'm probably about 60 to 70 seconds behind the, the actual live feeds. 30, 27, 31 seconds to go. So I, Justin Herbert seems capable of throwing the ball 75 yards, so I guess nothing's done yet. But what am I doing? Would have had it. I had a clear lead. Now I'm going to lose it. No one cares. No one cares. No one cares. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Hawk. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys once again for listening to the Island College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Five stars. Nice review. There's more of us than there are of them. And we're going to talk to you again real, real soon. Till then, take care.